Hey, Chloe, are feminism and femininity the same thing? You know what? That's a really good question. How about we dive into that? Politics, culture, faith, and so much more. This is Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Mattingly Watson on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Hello, welcome back to Fact of Life. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We're so excited for this episode that we have. Really hope you enjoyed last week's interview um, talking about two different perspectives of the Barbie movie. And as we kind of continue slash end um, our like primary discussion about the Barbie movie, um, today we're really not going to focus too much on that. But really, we're going to talk about biblical femininity and masculinity. Um, focusing more on the femininity, um, we want to get a guest in here to talk about masculinity, I think, as well. But today we're talking about what the Bible says about women, who we are as daughters of the king and what our roles are, what our what our um, what our natural and God given um, abilities and roles are as women, um, they're really beautiful, and I think there's just so much to pull from. So we're really excited to get into this today. Yeah, I think this is a really good segue from the Barbie movie because I think the Barbie movie really, you know, stimulated those questions, mm-hmm. and it's a good good topic that came from it as we talked about last week with Nathan and Valerie and those great discussions we had talking about all these different perspectives, I think that that can also be applied to how people are looking at feminism and femininity nowadays. Um, You know, looking at the Bible, I think it's very clear. I think a lot of people have misconceptions about biblical femininity and often confuse femininity and feminism as the same thing. So I think it'll be a really great to dive into this today as we are just finishing up our conversation with the Barbie movie mm-hmm. and that kind of that topic is stewing in a lot of our minds right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think like what Maddie Grace just said, the Barbie movie asks really good questions, but it does not give answers mm-hmm. or give mm-hmm. you a place to find those answers. Or at least good answers. <laughs> I don't think it answers it at all to be honest. But it, it, yeah. Anyways, I mean, it <laughs> um, maybe tries a little bit. It tries, but it doesn't give you either a correct answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it tries, but it doesn't give you a correct answer. So something that I wanted to pull from, um, there's this monologue in the Barbie movie. We've talked a little bit about it, but there is that quote. And I like this segue as well from what Valerie said at the end of our last episode about love. And anyways, there's there are a couple quotes that I wanted to bring up from that movie. Um, at the very end of, of this monologue by the mom, She's talking about, you know, the problems that women have faced. She says, you are very beautiful and smart, and it breaks my soul that you think you're not good enough. Like we're always supposed to be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. And then to round out her speech, she said, I'm tired of seeing myself and every woman doing the impossible for others to love us. And my answer to that is, you know what? I'm tired of it too, because that is a tragic disordering of priorities. Women care so deeply about what other people think of them. They want to love and be loved. It's such a deep desire within women. We're so empathetic. We're very, we have this maternal instinct in us and we, we want to love and be loved by others, um, you know, both romantically and in friendships. And there's just this, 
there's this desire inside of us to want to be loved, to find our purpose in that. And and her quote here said, I'm, so, I'm tired of seeing myself and every woman doing the impossible for others to love us. And I think this is such a tragic distorting of priorities because we should not care as biblical, as, as Christian women, what others think about us. We are to care about what the only one who does matter cares about us, mm-hmm. what Jesus Christ the Lord who made us thinks about us. Yes. I, I think looking at this quote, this monologue from a societal perspective, I'm not surprised it's here. It, mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm looking at it through society's lens, it makes sense. But that's the problem. Right. It's society has this disordering of possibility, this disordering of priorities. And, you know, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to try to do the impossible mm-hmm. if you you lean in what it just it just shows how society has steered us so far off track. Yeah. Like, yes, we realize this is a secular movie and these concerns that we're talking about today are all secular things, but that's the problem. Like yeah. we realize not everyone are Christians, but that's the problem. Like Right. Right. We it's just so sad because when you get these societal and all of these secular priorities in here, you're going to be miserable. You're going to try to do the impossible for others to love you because you don't have someone who's going to love you no matter what. Right, right. You know, and that's the thing. People people try and say that. And I think even Nathan said that last week. It's like, well, it's not supposed to be a Christian movie. That, And then you say that, like, that is the problem to me. Like, I mean, obviously mm-hmm. I understand it's not going to be a Christian movie, but the problem to me is the fact that society's right. morals are so... They're so bad skewed right that this is what this is what society thinks mm-hmm. and i know that they do even chloe and i we're both christians we disagree on different topics of christianity but and there's other i have other friends who are of other different religions i have jewish friends i'm i am a protestant but i have catholic friends or like for instance um one of the up-and-coming presidential candidates this year vivek ramaswamy he's hindu and i was watching an interview with him the other day and one thing he said is Yes, I have different religion than most of you. I'm not a Christian, but there is this shared base of morals. There's this shared, like, divine, like, you know, God that we're, you're, you're putting your faith in. And obviously, like, I don't agree with Hinduism. I don't agree with a lot of other different religions, but it's that shared common moral ground that is basing off of this. Now, obviously, you know, looking at the Bible and looking at Christianity is, you know, where we're going to be approaching that subject because we believe that is true. Right. And it's not like we serve the same God. Like, yes. we don't at all. Yes, but it's still, there is, society is missing virtue. It's missing morality in in any sense of the word, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. based off of Christianity, but based off of any sort of morality. Right. And I, you know, you used to see back in the day, and, and this is something interesting as we studied uh, American heritage last year. I was in that class and we talked a lot mm-hmm. about the different groups of Americans that came, you know, in the beginning of America, you have like the gentlemen, you have the Virginians, you know, you have the the pilgrims, you have the Irish, Scottish um, immigrants, and you have um, just these other groups of people that are coming and they all have different backgrounds. And something that was interesting was like this gentlemanly background, um, very much patriarchal in the sense that like there was a patriarch of the community not in the sense that people have been using this word recently but like there was like a patriarch that took care of the community he was the head and he had to have these virtues we read i forget the name of the document now but we read something um a journal from one of these gentlemen and he just kind of writes of the struggles of all the responsibilities he faced as kind of this caretaker of the community 
you know, expected to be living virtuously, having these morals, these standards that he wanted to live his life, um, you know, according to. And so, you know, but I guess we say that now because there is just, there's nothing like that anymore, you know, and, and you have all these contradictory messages. So I read something that Ali Beth Stuckey had written about the Barbie movie. She didn't say too much on it, which is interesting. Also, I mean, agree, because you can either choose to talk about it a lot like we are, or you just mm-hmm. kind of don't, you know, because mm-hmm. it's really not that important. I think we're bring, we're building on it because, first of all, our audience base is, you know, more Christian conservative female who have been young women who, you know, have probably watched this movie. But also that it does bring up some important cultural questions. And since we were already planning on talking about them anyways, we thought we'd bring it into kind of a cultural moment. Um, but Ali Beth was saying, you know, all these some of the things in the Barbie movie um, were true. And we, we've talked about that, too. But women are fed contradictory messages. A lot of this, ex- a lot is expected of us that's not possible or congruent. She says, but the overall message was that women are enough for themselves and that we have slash we can do it all. And that societal constructs like the patriarchy are holding us back. At the end of the day, we must be the stars of our own show and the bosses of our own lives. She, she goes on, this is not a unique or liberating message. It's the same drivel women are fed in all secular books we read and the shows we watch. It's what she calls trendy narcissism. Um, you know, you're just very focused on yourself that you're enough. You have enough to do. You know, you have enough to do whatever you want to do. You are the boss of your own life. And, you know, she has that response that says, you're not enough, actually. But that's okay because Christ is enough. Well, the problem here, too, is this, like, trendy narcissism kind of thing. It's it's a re- honestly, like, a revolving door. You know, you start to believe, oh, like, I, I, am, an, I am enough because of me. It mm-hmm. is all, like, I, it's very I, I, I. And then when yeah. other people don't treat you like it's, like, you are, like, perfection or anything like this, you get these, these quotes, like, this monologue that we see in the Barbie movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's placing yourself at such a high standard. You know, we're not saying you should go around degrading yourself. Like, that's not it right, at all. Right. But it, it's interesting because it is this revolving door of victimizing women and then building them up in a way that victimizes them again. The modern-day feminist movement and society nowadays, they they believe that they are empowering women. But when it comes down to it, they're just victimizing women. And victimizing women is not empowering them. No, not at all. You know, it's basically, it kind of reminds me of like critical race theory where, or the progressive movement in, you know, the early, early 1900s when they, uh, the progressives moved education from like a faith-based thing to an American-based educational system where, you know, it's all about love for America. That's where they wrote the pledge. That's where they have you know, the national anthem and saying the pledge in classes and stuff like that. You get this foundation and they, at, at face value, you're like, oh, great. You know, like we're we're telling um, we're telling Americans that like America is good and that it's their foundation. All this stuff. It's good patriotism. But then they build this kind of false identity on top of America. And then when they want to destroy America, they just switch the narrative from America being a great patriotic country where we have freedoms. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Instead, now it's, you know, white supremacist and uh, it's just horribly misordered mm-hmm. and people have been oppressed. And so it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the feminist movement is building women up 
in on a false supposition that you're enough, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then they can, they can rip that out from underneath you. And then you're, what are you, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they can feed all these contradictory messages to you and you're truly left mm-hmm. identity and purposeless. Yeah. Um, this, this has really just reminded me of a lot of what we've been covering lately in my American government class. It's been very eye-opening. And what I've learned is that a lot of these modern day movements and all of these things is when they were originally founded and constructed, they were constructed by people who did not have the intent that is coming across with the movements. And so if you look at a lot of like the ideologies now and things like that, um, the whole point is a lot of these are the way that they're sold is that it's on a moral basis mm-hmm. and when they're really not, but you, you trick people into thinking it. And one thing it reminds me of is we recently read the Kissinger report, which um, came out um, it was it was confidential for a while, but basically the point of it is it was a whole plot to, you know, kind of quell down the population, get people to stop having kids and go out into other countries as well as and things. But one thing that really stood out to me is that what they wanted to they wanted to try to convince women that they didn't want kids. Mm-hmm. And it was this is part of the government too. You know, it's this whole plot to try to convince mm-hmm. women they don't want kids to convince women that families aren't the way to go, to mm-hmm. try to their the whole point was to get more women in the workplace to fight against their maternal instinct, to mm-hmm. fight against them wanting to have families. So from I won't necessarily say the beginning because I do agree with a lot of what the original feminist, what original feminist movements fought for. But I think it's important to note that a lot of these threads we're seeing with society nowadays in the modern day feminist movement come from things like the Kissinger Report and other things as Mm -hmm. well, where it's like, no, the original intent, like the intent of these things, the reason why these were founded was not so you can go work. I don't have any problem with people working. That's not the point of this. It's manipulation. Women were being manipulated. They have been manipulated, and they're continuing to be uh, manipulated mm-hmm. by being victimized. Mm-hmm. These are reports that are available to the public, but people do not read them. I mean, I just read this and I sat there in shock. Like, right. I'm not surprised, but it's like, right. Well, and even you even see that with the Dobbs or uh, with Roe, you know, mm-hmm. Roe v. Wade, and, and this case decided by nine white men that they don't ever point out. Don't don't even get me started. People are like, (laughs) I don't want a Supreme Court that has all these men on it taking away my abortion rights, which is not a right. Um, When literally it was decided by white men, like all around the time of all of these reports and things. No, they just want you to stop having kids. They don't care about you. They didn't care about you. They literally just want to manipulate you Mm -hmm. into going by their agenda. That, mm-hmm. that was it. It was never about you. It was never about oh, women. absolutely not. It was not about that. It was about a lot of things, but it was never about women. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's it's crazy. And you just, you really see throughout history, you know, just this kind of, you know, and it's interesting that it's such an attack on kind of this role. Either you are being oppressed because you're a woman or, I mean, and, and I'm talking about like throughout all of history because- uh, historically, women have been oppressed. I will say that, you know. Yes. Uh, not within Christianity. Although, I mean, of course, sin exists. And so there are issues, yes. of course. But, but sin is not Christianity. Compared, right, com- right. And compared to every other, you know, uh, society, religion, all that kind of thing, women have had far less freedoms than either Jewish or uh, Christian women. Um, but I just think, you know, you look historically, like women have been 
the scapegoats. They've kind of been the under the underling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just interesting. I was reading a book um, by Kevin DeYoung called Men and Women in the Church. Ooh. Such a good book. I, it's it's small. It was it was just so amazing. And I haven't finished all the way to the end yet. But even just from the very beginning, um, talking about how men and women are like the it's the foundation. It's a very specific choice that God has chosen to make a man and a woman. He didn't have to create a man and a woman. He could have made two men or two women, but he didn't. He chose to make a man and a woman. And then this whole book goes through. It's it's about women, men and women in the church specifically. Mm-hmm. So it's going to talk a lot about church roles and, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's coming from a complementarianism position mm-hmm. that men and women are complementary. They have different yes. roles, but they're equal. I mean, that's human why beings. God created Eve. He mm-hmm. created Eve for Adam right. because Adam couldn't do it by himself. And I think a lot of people look at Christianity in the wrong way. It's saying, oh, Adam was made first. Adam is a superior being like men are one like it's looking at it as if Christianity is putting down women. But if you look at it, like God looked at Adam and saw that he needed someone with him and he created Eve. He created woman to be with man because man couldn't do it on himself. Like that is, that's the entire point of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's so many, there's so many observations to be made, you know, like in the very beginning, men and women are both created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both given joint rule over creation um, you know, they, they're both, you know, given different tasks. Um, and that's okay. You know, and I, I just think basically when you read the beginning of like the creation of men and women, you know, there are this, there's this equality and then there's this differentiation of roles. And so, um, I really think that this is a good segue into Proverbs 31. So mm. I have, I just have a lot to say about women in the Bible. You know, I think, Women in the Bible are incredible. You have so many yes. great examples. You have Ruth, you have um, Esther, Esther. Mary. You have Deborah, like the Ooh. you know the yeah. judge, um, I know. who was literally like the judge over all of these people, right? And, and that's also sent in the a Old stake Testament through someone's well. head. You know, yes. like wait, <laughs> yes, queen, <laughs> so good. Yes, judge, uh, <laughs> so true. Um, and you know, and then you have like. You have Mary. You have several Marys, in fact. Several. And you have um, other, you know, disciples in in the New Testament and people, women that are following Jesus and women that are, you know, furthering the church later on in, in, in mm-hmm. Acts and things like that. And um, personally, like Esther and Ruth are two of my favorites. I think the book of Ruth is just beautiful. Um, but mm-hmm. it's just this beautiful idea. And I, I, I love that these books are in the Bible because— I think it's just it to me. It's just like God saying, "This is just for you guys." And mm-hmm. obviously, there's a lot to say about men as well with Boaz, you know, and mm-hmm. and the kind of man that he is in that. But I think it's also just this beautiful picture of a relationship as well, like mm-hmm. Ruth being totally submissive to to Boaz in that relationship, but Boaz mm-hmm. taking care of her and loving her yes. um, when he didn't really even have to, you know, yeah. and he, he loved her so dearly. I think, um, yeah, I think sometimes the word submissive is almost like people take, take it as if like mm-hmm. knives are being thrown at them. Right. Like you're not submitting to a dictator. I mean, in a true biblical relationship and a true biblical dynamic, man is not the dictator over women. It's not like he's like, it's not a controlling thing. It's Mm-mm. not anything like that. And if that's how it's like, that's not how submission is being used in this sense. Like, yes, is 
the husband, um, the father, like the lead leader of the family. Yes, but that is because his wife is there to compliment him. And like, it's not like, it's not a dictatorship no. relationship. And that's I think not, I, that's so misconceived. No, absolutely. And I think one of the best ways to look at this is just, we say this all the time, but it truly is, is so real that marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think Ephesians has such a beautiful picture of this relationship. And we'll be getting into that right after the break. We're out of time for this first segment. But once we come back, we'll talk about Ephesians. We're going to dive into Proverbs 31. Mm-hmm. And we're really going to talk, dive into what a godly woman looks like and how it is so freeing from this culture of oppression and victimization mm-hmm. and self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about what it means to be a woman that glorifies the Lord. Thank you so much for listening. Just a reminder, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, and we'll be with you right after the break. so much more. This is Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Lee Watson on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome back to the Fact of Life. Thank you so much for tuning in to the second segment of Fact of Life with Chloe Noller and Maddie Lee Watson. We're so glad you're here. We've just been talking about the societal discussion around femininity and masculinity and different roles that men and women have. We were about to dive into Ephesians 5, what it says about the roles of men and women in a marriage and um, in in the world. And so uh, we were just talking about how there is this beautiful picture of Christ in the church and, and how this is supposed to be a reflection of, or marriage is supposed to be a reflection of that relationship. And so Ephesians 5, 1 says, "'Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children.'" And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself Mm -hmm. up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does Jesus do here as the man? um, He gave himself up. And gave himself up because he loved us. This part, it just, this is so important to me. Because like I was saying right before the break, guys, like everyone misinterprets some like a submission in a relationship, like in a biblical relationship Mm -hmm. to be like submitting like a dictator-like power Mm -hmm. this like dictator-like dictator-like like patriarchy or anything like that but no if you look at this it's christ loved us and gave himself up for us and that is how we are supposed to love that Mm -hmm. is how the relationship you're not submitting to a like a husband that is a dictator you're submitting to a husband who will be like christ and give himself up for you Mm -hmm. right and and we also say this you know insofar as he's following christ of Mm -hmm. course but, you know, like even it goes on to talk about a section called wives and husbands. And in verse 22, there's a there's two or there's uh, like two, three verses right here on on what wives are to do. There's a whole paragraph dedicated to what husbands are to do. And which is longer than the one about women, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, it's wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Um, and then it goes on to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Um, 
it, so there, you know, there's just so much to dig in, dive into there. And obviously, um, we could go on and on about that. But I think I really want to focus today in on Proverbs 31. And again, just that biblical idea of who a woman and what a woman is in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, Proverbs, I just, to start off, Proverbs 31 says, a wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. This passage is just so beautiful to me. I think if you are really familiar with kind of growing up in like a Christian environment, um, Mm -hmm. in Christian circles, especially one with like Christian women, Proverbs 31 is a very cliche passage to look for, but it's cliche for a reason. It's like, oh, Proverbs 31 woman. Yeah. And I think sometimes we can like forget to actually read Proverbs 31. I know we're like, oh, that's the standard, whatever. I know I'm very guilty of that for years. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31. Can I tell you what Proverbs 31 said? Probably not. Like, I I think it's just so easy to forget to go back and reference Proverbs 31. But truly, I think anybody who says that like Christianity is sexist towards women Mm -hmm. or anything like that, they have not read Proverbs 31. I mean, Chloe just pointed out, it starts off by saying, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Like, your worth right there is is in the nobility of who you are as a woman. I mean... Mm -hmm. I, as of having noble character, you're worth far more than rubies. And, you know, like we have the movie talking about how you're not enough and you are trying to do the impossible for others to love you. That's not what it says. In in order for others to love you, have noble character. It's that, no, you have noble character because that's where your worth is found because your, your nobility of character comes from following in Christ and glorifying mm-hmm. Christ by that. Um, because mm-hmm. God has made you in his image. That is where your worth comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. I mean, verse 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity. Um, she can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Mm-hmm. And then oh, the ending is so beautiful. But charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Mm-hmm. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Yeah. And I just, something I love about Proverbs 31 is how it just just describes a diligent and integrous woman who is thoughtful, caring, and, and loving. And in this, like her husband, um, it says, it goes on after verse 10 says, her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm. Later on in verse 28, it says, her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Um, you know, I just, I think that that last line where it says, you know, we're doing everything we can for others to love us. Man, I just, it made me so sad to hear all of those things because when you are focused on, and, and we've talked about this so much in identity with, with those, that kind of series, but just when you're focused on yourself, when you're looking inward, to care about what everyone thinks about you and and you're just obsessed with kind of being loved, being wanted, being admired. You, you know, you never hear of that working out for people, you know, like when mm. someone really wants to be loved by someone else, they're often seen as needy, mm-hmm. as controlling, as insecure, because that's exactly what they are. They're not secure in who they are. They're not, um, they never feel like they're doing enough to be loved. Mm-hmm. by that person that's where they're finding their value yeah this reminds me back um heading back over to ephesians 5 but it says um verse 28 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. And, you know, that's talking about how, like, husbands should treat their wives. But, you know, if you also look at it, it's, okay, you know, you take this to mean, like, okay, husbands are loving their wives. And therefore, through that love, they learn to love themselves as well. And we can apply that to a relationship with Christ as well. Like, we love Christ. We place our worth in him. Like Chloe referenced back to our identity series. We talked about this a lot for three episodes straight. But you place your worth and your love in Christ and in your relationship with God. And through that, you see your own worth and you appreciate and you start to love yourself, not based off of who you are, not, well, not based off, well, yes, based off who you are and whose you are in a biblical point, but not off of, oh, this is my body. This is my personality. Like these are all the things that the world and like secular influences tell me I should be loved for, but you see those things as a product of your faith and as a product of being made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And it's that true love and true contentment. You still end up loving yourself. You still end up seeing how wonderful and amazing you are, but it's how wonderful and amazing you are because you are made in the image of God, because you are a follower of Christ and have that within you. It's not based off of anything you've done. Right. You know, and and even just talking about the value of the different roles that God's given men and women, too. I mean, there's there's this beautiful section from Kevin's young book, Men and Women in the Church. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. He says, in an age of profound gender confusion, where the connection between biological sex and gender is routinely rejected, Christians are called upon to reaffirm that our shared human nature finds different expressions in manhood and in womanhood. As Herman Bavnik puts it, the human nature given to man and woman is one and the same, but in each of them it exists in a unique way. And this distinction functions in all of life and in all kinds of activity. He said, God did not create androgynous human beings, and he does not redeem us to become androgynous Christians. God made us male and female. He sanctifies us by the Spirit so that we might follow Christ as men and follow Christ as women. The Reformed tradition has always been adamant that grace does not eradicate nature or elevate nature, but grace restores nature. God is in the business of returning us to what was once declared very good. And he goes on to say, like, that's why returning to what was very good means that both the man and the woman. And so I just want to emphasize that fact that, like, we're created as men and women, and that's a very good thing. Like, God created women specifically. He didn't do it on accident. He, of course he didn't do it on accident. You know, we're both creating, mm-hmm. the, creating the image of God and we have these different roles. He's given, given women such a beautiful gift in being able to bear children, to have this mm-hmm. maternal instinct to be the caretakers of, um, of the family in, in a way that men cannot be. Mm-hmm. You know, men is the head and they are like the caretaker and the protector of the family. And the wife, you know, in Proverbs 31, she's, she, um, it says she has no fear for her household. She, she provides food for her family and portions for her servants. She's, she's working vigorously. She's being um, responsible and being diligent in what she's doing. And because of that, everything around her flourishes. Do you notice that? When she's doing yes. well, everything around her flourishes. In the Barbie movie, did we see anyone flourishing? No. No, <laughs> no one flourished. Even at the mm-hmm. end, no one was flourishing. No, the the end, we've talked about it a lot. I just really don't understand the end of the Barbie movie. But 
it's it's just so crazy because why are we trying to erase these beautiful things like these things yeah. that help families and people flourish like chloe is pointing out why are we trying to erase those instead of glorifying them and lifting them up and lifting women up for them? You know, society's not doing that. Mm-mm. For the large most part, society and all these secular thoughts, they're trying to erase it and build women up for things that aren't of that. I mean, but you look at it, Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Like, he, woman was created so intentionally. And mm-hmm. then if you go over to like 1 Corinthians 11 it says in verse 12 for as woman was made from man so man is now born of woman and all things are from god mm-hmm. like it it's this insane system that god has made and if you look at it it's like women have this insane skill i don't know what word for it role that god has gift that god has given them to have children to bring lives into the world Mm -hmm. and in ways that man just literally cannot and they can't have children what (sighs) no and then also like like chloe said like providing food for her family these are all life sustaining Mm -hmm. life creating life building gifts and instead of lifting them up we're trying to erase them. Like I said with the Kissinger Report, we're trying yeah. to erase family. We're trying to erase all of these natural gifts that women have been given. Tell them that's not what they want anymore. That's not what they're needed for anymore. And that's why women are feeling this way. That's why the Barbie movie exists. Because we're trying to make women something that they're not. Yeah. He, um, Kevin DeYoung says, any move to abolish all distinctions between men and women is a move whether intentionally or not, to tear down the building blocks of redemption itself. God has built this, this world. I mean, this, this, this world is built off of the roles of men and women. You need both. And I think also, you know, and something we want to emphasize later on is we talk about masculinity and the importance of encouraging men to be men, to be leaders, to be heads, um, to lead in a godly and loving manner that's self-sacrificial, um, that was one of my main issues with the Barbie movie was because it, it did not respect men in a way that they, you know, should be respected. And, you know, and all of this is, it's like, we can say all of this stuff and we do very much mean it because this is, this is true, but, you know, sin mars all of these things. And so, you know, that's why we have these questions about what it means to be men and women. That's why women are unsatisfied sometimes with, a lot of the time with being, you know, um, told in the Bible to be submissive to their husbands. You know, they have mm-hmm. this this power struggle. Um, but it's it's not about that. It, it's about what God has created us individually for. And it's about glorifying him through everything that he's done. It's just if, if God, God has like specifically crafted women and men to be who they are and they need each other. They... Like Maddie Grace just read, it is not good that man should be alone. He could, he can't be alone. He needs a helper, a helpmate, someone who can be his own flesh, his mm-hmm. literal flesh and blood that he can love and take care of just as he's been taking care of the garden in the way that she can be, you know, the uh, a caretaker of the family and of, and of the children in the home. And I just, it's so beautiful, these specific roles that God has given. And I just, it, it makes me so sad to see to see these struggles um mm-hmm. 
because there's so much beauty in who God has called women to be. Yeah. I think with this topic, as honestly with a lot of topics, controversial ones nowadays, you know, you're presented with the option of you have to either agree with one extreme or the other. And so I think, you know, looking at this, a lot of people think like, oh, they see the word roles and they find it constraining and restrictive instead of freeing. Mm -hmm. They think, oh, roles means women can't do anything. Roles mean that women have to sit there, not say anything and just be complacent with everything. Mm -hmm. And when they see those words, it's like, oh, that's that means I have to go to the other extreme now if I don't agree with that. And I have to believe that women can do whatever they want. Well, women can't do whatever they want. Men can't do whatever they want. Like, it's not... We have liberties to do what is right. We don't have freedom to do what is wrong. Like, mm-hmm. it's... But there, there is that middle ground, so to speak. I hate to say middle ground because it's not what I'm... That's not necessarily the right phrase I'm looking for. But we should be looking at these roles and saying, oh, these are our gifts. This is freeing because I can freely exercise this beautiful thing that I've been given that men have not been given. It's not, here's my role. I have to be complacent. I have to sit in the corner and not say anything. No. Do you see that anywhere in in a Proverbs 31 woman? No, Mm -hmm. she's not complacent. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She is, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. She is, she's not complacent. She is loving as, as God has called her to. Um, you know, I just, as Dante puts it so beautifully in the Divine Comedy, as he talks about so much within, I think, especially Purgatorio, he talks about how we are most free when our wills are most aligned with God's. When we are following Christ, we are the most free because Otherwise, it's like the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You can't both be serving Satan and God at the same time. You can't serve money. You can't serve God at the same time. You have to serve God alone. And when you're doing that, you are the most free that you've ever been because his law, his what we we call the law, who he's called us to imitate in Christ, that is freeing because Mm -hmm. that's who he's made us to be. That Mm -hmm. is what a human is created to do is to... To we are fulfilling our true purpose. Right. We are in our most true and good form. Right. Sounds very Hillsdale of us right now, but <laughs> well, we're here for a reason. Amazing. Um, but it, it's so true. And so when you are following the things of this world, that is not what we were created for. Yes, our, our sin nature makes us inclined towards those. Mm-hmm. But that's not because that's what's right. It's because it's wrong. And mm-hmm. because we are fallen and corrupted in our hearts our nature inclines us that way but that is not it's totally against what god has made us to be and so we choose then to align our wills with christ's and we Mm -hmm. say no i'm not going to follow the things of this world i'm not going to fall into the trap of thinking about myself all the time no i'm going to honor and follow christ i'm going to live my life as a godly woman in the role that he's given me in the in the distinctive purpose that he's given me. You know, we don't even need to use the word role. Like, mm-hmm. the distinctive purpose that he's given me as a woman. And that is the most freeing place I can be in, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I just think that that's so important. Yeah, it really, like, I know we've referenced this already, this episode. But it really just brings me back to our identity series. Absolutely. Because, 
you see all of these people in society nowadays being so miserable where they are. They're trying to find their identity in gender identity or sexuality, all of these things. They're trying to find where they belong, so to speak, or whatever way they want to phrase that. And they never find it. You look at these people and they're never truly content, you mm-hmm. know, in, in not just in gender ideology and sexuality. In any way, anywhere you're trying to put your purpose, but then you put your, you find your purpose in Christ. And when you, you're putting yourself there, truly living out that purpose as Christ has given you and living within God as a child of God, like Chloe said, it's just so freeing. You're never going to find that contentment and that freedom mm-hmm. and that that joy, that true joy, unless you're living in your purpose. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's why I love Allie Beth's quote when she says, mm-hmm. you're not enough and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because truly, you can't be enough in and of yourself. You're not going to be mm-hmm. ever. But that's because Christ is enough. Mm-hmm. And when you can rest in that, when you can rest in who he's made you to be, and rest in his redemptive power because he has sacrificed his life for you on the cross to get rid of your sin, to make you new. That is where true satisfaction is found. That's where you can be loved. Christ did the impossible so that God can like, so that we can be in heaven with him forever. He did the impossible. We're not called to do the impossible. God did the impossible so that we can be saved. We can be sanctified. And, and, and live with him forever and, and have that intense satisfaction and joy in who um, God is and who he's created us to be. No, exactly. As always, my name is Chloe Noller. And I'm Mattingly Watson. And, and we, we approve, approve of this message. The Fact of Life podcast can be found at at Fact of Life podcast on Instagram or at Fact of Life pod on Twitter. Reach out to the host at factoflifepodcast at gmail.com or send a message on Instagram or Twitter. Listen to the Fact of Life anywhere you get your podcasts, especially right here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Fact of Life.